Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday Morning Bible Study. I want to tell you a, a, a praise. You know, I was very encouraged and exhorted as I was working through the Thanksgiving study this past week, and as you'll be working through the Thanksgiving um, study this week, that we are to continually give praises to God, to continually speak of what God does in our lives, the good things that he does. And so I just have this opportunity to thank him for sending his angels to guard over Lindsay and I um, last Friday night as we were driving home from Winchester. Um, I had spent the day with my mom and dad raking leaves and loading bags and bags, tw at least 20 bags in my dad's truck and then went to the dump with him to unload those leaves. And I told Gary later, why is it I've lived in Leesburg, you know, like 25 years and I've never been to the Leesburg dump, but I've been to the Winchester dump. It, it was, I feel like I'm, you know, I've been there three times now with my dad dumping off leaves. So anyway, Lindsay, after work, came out to Winchester and we had dinner together with my parents and it was about uh, nine o'clock and I said, honey, I'm so tired. Why don't you just drive home? So she was driving and I actually, um, because I wasn't driving, I was texting somebody, so I wasn't looking out the window, but I did notice that it was a terrible fog. You know, sometimes when you go over the mountains, there's a terrible fog. And uh, so I had said, honey, slow down, the, the fog's really uh, heavy. And all of a sudden, you know, my head's down, I'm texting, and I feel the car swerve, and she's like, dear. And I look over to my passenger side, and there's this huge buck about this far, from my door, you know, antlers and, and everything, huge. And um, we just, you know, it missed my side of the card by that much. And had she not swerved, we, that deer would have hit us. And it was coming, you know, from the middle of the medium, ran right across in front of our car to go to the, to the other side, and I was just thankful that the Lord had sent, so this is what I am thankful for the Lord, that he sent his angels to watch over us. And you know, he does that all the time, and we're not even aware that he sends his angels to watch over us and lifted that fog in time for Lindsay to, you know, see the deer that was about a foot from our car so that we um, couldn't hit it. I was trying to tell my sons that same story. I said, hey, guys, I and, and Lindsay almost went to heaven on Friday night, and you would have been without a, a, you know, a mother, and you know, because they were like talking and telling a story, and I said, I just want to give God thanks, and I told them all about how God had sent his angels to protect our car, and, and Tyler's like, well, by the way, blah, 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 and I'm like, Tyler, that was a serious thing. God sent his angels. I mean, we almost, you know, left this earth, and we're in heaven, and anyway... I thought, you know what, I'm going to save this story for my Tuesday morning Bible study women because, yes, thank you. If you've ever had those near-death experiences, you know, you, God is really a protecting God, and he sends his angels to watch over us and pray for your children that God will send his angels to protect them and watch over them wherever they're going, whatever they're doing, and for your husbands and your loved ones. I'm so thankful that he does that, even when we're not thinking about it. And if someone won't listen to you giving thanks to God, find someone who will, because someone <laughs> will listen and someone will, you know, want to praise the Lord with you. We've completed our background 
um, our introduction and our overview of Philippians. And so this morning we get to dig right in to Philippians chapter 1, and we get to uh, see what Paul's actual letter is all about. So let's begin this morning by reading verses 1 through 11 together. And before I read, let's begin with prayer. Father, we dedicate our Bible study time to you. We thank you so much for your word, that you loved us so much that you um, wanted to just give us a love letter for your words of truth. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that as we read your words together and as we study your words, that your Holy Spirit would just open up our eyes to see all that you have for us, the truths of your word, and may your truth and may your word minister to our hearts in a way, Lord, that only you can, so that when we leave, we will be changed to be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, and by the way, I'm reading from my NIV Bible today, to the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 1 tells us that this letter was written by Paul and Timothy. Now, Timothy was a missionary and a traveling companion with Paul. He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he was Paul's true son in the faith. Paul writes this letter, Paul and Timothy, write it to the saints there in Philippi. Notice that we can only be a saint if we are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus and you've been born again this morning, you are God's saint. The letter was also written to overseers. An overseer was a bishop or someone with leadership responsibilities. The letter was also written to deacons. Deacons are those who had been uh, recognized who had been given recognized positions of service. So they were the ones that served in the body of Christ. So uh, Paul is writing here to this established church in Philippi. He was here 10 years ago on a missionary trip. Um, you know, he's, a, he's a, a Jewish believer. He's a Hebrew. He was raised in Israel. And I was thinking about this this week, that he had traveled not, you know, Israel and, and Philippi, which is modern Greece today, is 920 miles. And not that he traveled that 920 miles straight because he had many stops in between. He had stopped, um, I was reading this one commentary that said he had 
had been to over 50 different provinces and, and cities on his way from Israel to Philippi. And so he travels almost a 1,000 miles, never, never thinking that he would go into the continent of Europe. He was going to stay in Asia, but the Holy Spirit said, I want you to spread the gospel, go here into Macedonia. And I'm not even sure, you know, back in 60 AD, if they called that the continent of Europe. But in God's providence and in God's sovereign will, he wanted the gospel spread um, throughout the West. And many commentaries that I read, which I didn't know about the Apostle Paul, but between his two Roman imprisonments, um, after he was imprisoned, in Rome here, he even traveled as far west as the Gaul, which is France, Spain, and even to the British Isles. And I just think what a life of obedience that Paul had to travel as far. You know, you can't just hop on a jet and there's no first class. I mean, he went by foot and by boat um, over thousands of miles to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world you know, in our uh, continent. And I am so thankful for Paul's obedient life. And I was thinking that an obedient life always has eternal value. Never let the enemy uh, uh, lie to you and deceive you into thinking that this one little area of obedience that God's calling you to, to obey God, you know, in your life doesn't matter. It does. Every time the Lord asks you to do something for him, it matters. Obedience has eternal value. And when we live a life of obedience unto the Lord, it reaps a harvest of eternal value. And I'm so thankful for the Apostle Paul. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always writes grace and peace in this order because we can never know the peace of God until we accept his grace in our lives and his grace for what, all that he's done in our lives. And when we can rest in his grace, then we can live in his peace. In verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice in verse 4, Paul says that in all his prayers for all of them, he always prays with joy. Here's the first time we see the word joy in Paul's letter. And because we've completed the introduction and the overview, we already know that the main theme of Paul's letter is joy. But here's the very first time that he uses the word. Happiness, we know, is circumstantial and temporal. Joy is relational and eternal. Happiness is circumstantial and temporal. It will fade. It will go away. Joy is relational and eternal. And so when we keep up that, that relationship with the Lord, he'll continue to fill us. Just like he fills us with the Holy Spirit, he continues to fill us with joy. Paul pens the word joy or rejoice in this letter more than 12 times. He writes Jesus, Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus Christ over 40 times. What was Paul's source of joy? His relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's our only source of joy for today. It hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. Your only source of joy 
for today is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you don't have much joy, if your joy is lacking, you need to get closer to Jesus. In fellowship with him, that's where you can experience true joy. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We can rejoice this morning that God is a keeping God. Whatever he starts, he finishes. Unlike me, I start many things a day, and maybe only one gets finished. God completes everything that he starts. Here's a beautiful promise for us from Psalm 138.8. Psalm 138.8, it says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Not just that he'll start it and he'll, he'll try and he'll work on it and he'll do his best to fulfill his purpose for me. No, that he will fulfill it. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for you because his love endures forever. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Notice Paul's feeling language. He says, I feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul was a man, a towering man, a brilliant man of intellect, and yet his heart was filled with love for these people, and he wasn't ashamed to tell them. He didn't, never felt like, oh, if I, if I you know, really let my true feelings out, they're going to think less of me. He was gushy in this letter, telling them how much he really loved them. Three times he says the phrase, for all of you. And I love that about Paul because he didn't want anyone in this fellowship, in this church to feel left out. This letter was for everyone. In this letter, that the all of you, that includes us. It's for all of us that he is writing to. And what does his love for them cause him to do? Well, let's find out in verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What did Paul's love for them cause him to do for them? You tell me. Yes, he prayed for them. His love for them caused him to pray for them. Praying for someone is such a special and beautiful gift of love, and it's really a gift from God. And I know that's why the devil wants to make us feel like praying for someone would never help. Or praying for someone's not going to do any good. They'll never change. That's a lie from the enemy, because God gives us, gives us the gift to pray for others, because it makes a difference. God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a precious lady here in our fellowship, and she was saying, Terry, I, I have t talked to my son about this certain problem until I'm blue in the face. 
and I can't talk to him any more about it because the more I talk to him about it, the more defensive he gets, and the walls go up, and he just won't hear me, and I just don't know what to do. And, and I said, well, that's perfect because you've gotten to, to the place where you don't know what to do, and when you don't know what to do, the perfect thing to do is to fast and pray because then God takes over. So if you're in a situation with somebody and you feel like you've, you are trying to get them to hear you about something and you've talked to them until they're, you know, you're blue in the face and they don't want to hear it anymore and they've kind of put up their hand like, don't tell me anymore, the best thing you can do is pray for them. Pray for the situation. Fast and pray. She was so excited. She said, yeah, you know what? I have off work tomorrow. I'm going to spend the whole day fasting and praying about this problem with my son. And he was, he was not in her home anymore. He's a grown son, 36. And uh, so she came back to me the next week, and she said, I had such a wonderful day of fasting and praying for my son. But she said it was so cool because the Lord first dealt with me and spoke to me all the things that weren't right you know, in my life, how my approach was wrong, how I was the defensive one, the anger. He showed me that I was angry about this situation. And so she said half the day was me just getting rid of, you know, my bitterness and my anger towards him for not listening to me. And then she said the, the you know, walls broke down and I was able to spend the rest of the day praying that God would just um, get a hold of his heart and speak to um, his heart. And I'm so encouraged by that psalm that tells us that the king's heart is in the Lord's hands. And so if, it, if God can take a king's heart and mold it and, and shape it and um, speak to that heart, he can speak to anyone's heart. We can't, but God can. The best gift of love that you can give to someone is to pray for them. And when you add fasting on top of that, it's just like a one-two punch. It, it's, it's awesome what God will do and how he will honor a time of fasting and prayer. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 28, the high priest wore a beautiful garment called an ephod over his heart. Just right here, he wore the ephod, and on it were 12 gemstones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on them, a jewel for each tribe. He carried the people over his heart in love, and so did Paul. Perhaps the deepest Christian fellowship and joy we can experience in this life is at the throne of grace praying with and for one another. And so this is a prayer for maturity that Paul prays. Paul began with love. He prayed that their love, and by the way, this love is translated in the Greek as agape. It's not the, you know, the phileo. It's an agape love that he was praying that their love, their agape, would abound more and more in two ways, in knowledge and in depth of insight. The Philippians had a lot of love that they had shown to Paul. Yet Paul didn't hesitate to pray that their love would abound still more and more. And it doesn't matter how much love we have for someone, we can still have more. And Paul prays that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Depth of insight can also mean discernment, that our love would grow in discernment and judgment. Our love for the Lord should abound more and more in knowing him and in choosing his ways. The more you know the Lord, the more you'll choose his ways. Then our love for others will grow. You know, your love won't grow very much for others 
if your relationship with the Lord has not grown. As your relationship and your love grows for the Lord, then out of that, your love will grow for others. And we'll be able to discern how to handle situations with others because God will show us what to say and God will show us what to do. Some people think of abounding love as a mushy sentiment or giving in, giving others whatever they demand or whatever they want. But mature love sometimes withholds a quick fix and allows God to do his work in someone's heart and in someone's life. Paul knew the danger of undiscerning love. Let's look, an exa- let's look an example, at an example of undiscerning love from 1 Corinthians. Would you turn there with me to 1 Corinthians? First Corinthians chapter 5, and let's read verses 1 through 5. This is an example of undiscerning love. First Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5. It is, exact, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in the spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan." so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Let's jump down to verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now see, this kind of a, this now is going to be a love that is abounding more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world, who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers, swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, a believer, a Christian, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Paul rebuked the Corinthian church that seemed to glory in their love and in their openness. It was an immature love, wanting to give this man his own way. Oh, we'll just let him live. You know, we don't want to create waves. We don't want to be called intolerant. We'll just let him act the way that he wants to act. But Paul um, condemned them for that and said, your, your love is a very immature love. It has no discernment, has no judgment. It lacks any sense of knowledge. Paul also prayed that they might have mature Christian character sincere and without offense, or pure and blameless. That's what pure actually means, to be sincere, to be unmixed. The Greek word translated sincere means tested by sunlight, 
A real Christian ought to be able to stand in the sunlight, have the spotlight shined upon your life, and nothing's there. No dark places, no shadows. You're sincere. You're the same person at home that you are at church. Paul prayed for them to have mature Christian character, being blameless. Being blameless means without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. This means that our lives do not cause others to stumble. It's not just about you, what you want to do and how you feel. It's about others and not causing them to stumble. And that we are ready for the judgment seat of Christ when he returns. Here are two good tests for us to follow as we exercise spiritual discernment. Number one, does my life make others stumble? Or will it make me ashamed if Jesus should return? Does my life cause others to stumble? Or will I be ashamed of my behavior if Jesus should return? Paul also prayed that they might have mature Christian service. He wanted them filled and fruitful. He was not interested simply in church activities, but in the kind of spiritual fruit that is produced when we are in fellowship with Christ. That's when spiritual fruit is developed, when we're in fellowship with Christ. Not when we come to church all the time. That's not going to produce spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit will only come out of our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's look at John 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts to the Romans. My mom the other day said, you know all the books of the Bible, right? I'm like, yeah, I think so. And she's like, well, go ahead and say them. I'm like, Mom, just don't let me hear them. So I, I got through them, and then she said, well, can you do the New Testament? And so I started to sing this song that I learned um, when I was little, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, accent to the Romans. And she's like, oh, that you, ha- you learned that song? I'm like, yeah, let me do it any way I can, you know, learn it. Any way you can learn scripture, make yourself a song. Um, and by the way, being a, man- a mature Christian, you-, you ought to know the books of the Bible. Practice those, um, you know, over and over again. Ha- you know, have them written down, the books of the Bible, the Old Testament, 30, 39 in the Old, or is it 37? <laughs> 39, thank you, Tony. 39 in the old, 27 in the new. Um, Just so that, you know, when you come into fellowship on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, you can know where we are in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Let's go to John 15. We're so familiar with the books we love, aren't we? And our shows, we've got those recorded. But if somebody were to ask us the books of the Bible, oh, my word, I don't know where that is. Well, just practice. I promise you'll get it. John 15. You know what? I was only going to read verses 4 and 5, and last night I was reading over the verses again, and I thought, oh, the, the 1 through uh, 17 is so beautiful. It's the words of Jesus. So let's just look at um, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. This will help us to know Uh, you know, where the fruit's going to come from. Sometimes in our lives we think, oh, I'm just not going to make it. I'm not being the way I should be. Um, No need to worry. This is how it happens. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. You know, sometimes we get scared thinking, oh, am I remaining in the love of God? You are if you are obeying what he tells you to do. You're obeying the Bible. You're remaining in his love. Uh, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father, I've made known to you. I love that about the Bible. There's no secrets. There's no secret way to heaven. There's no secret club that you have to get into to live the Christian life. Everything that God told Jesus, Jesus tells us, and it's right here. <clears throat> you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, this is my command, love each other. What is the fruit that God produces in our life? Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is Paul writing, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's a fruit, right? A holy life, living righteously before God, that's a fruit that's going to fall from your life. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit that you will reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Holiness, that's a fruit. It's just going to come. Eternal life. That's a fruit that we will reap. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's a fruit of love. It's just going to drop off of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's all going to be fruit off of your life. Warren Wearsby, I love his um, whole commentary on the book of Philippians. He said, the fruit tree does not make a great deal of noise when it produces a crop. It merely allows the life within to work in a natural way. The fruit is just the result. The difference between spiritual fruit and human religious activity is that the fruit brings glory to Jesus Christ. 
Whenever we do anything in our own strength, we have a tendency to boast about it, and that makes noise. True spiritual fruit is so beautiful and wonderful that no human can take credit for it. The glory must go to God and God alone. Paul had us in his mind, he had us in his heart, and he had us in his prayers. May we do the same towards others, because this kind of Christian always produces joy. Have others in your mind, have others in your heart, have others in your prayer. And so would you stand with me this morning, and I'd like to pray. Paul's prayer, and by now, I hope you have this underlined or highlighted in your Bible that you can pray for others in their, in um, your life, whether it be your husband, your children, your parents, your loved ones. This is an awesome prayer to pray for them. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I just want to use Paul's prayer this morning to pray for these precious women who come every week to Tuesday Women's Bible Study. Lord, I pray that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they would be able to discern what is best, that they would be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In Jesus' name, amen.